G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dean Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight, we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Lyndon Cooper from Nakuma Kelpies. Lyndon will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey, Lyndon, how are you going? Yeah, I'm well, thanks, Laura. How are you guys? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, thanks, buddy. How's your day been? Uh, yeah, no, pretty good. Uh, been the same old, same old at the moment. A lot of feeding and things like that. It's pretty dry over here. So, um, yeah, that's a lot of feeding going on. Praying for a bit of rain, mate? Yeah, yeah, had a little bit of a drizzle over the weekend, but no, nowhere near enough, only seven mils. So, need a lot more than that to uh, to get us started. So we'll jump straight into it. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and a little bit about a background of you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, look, I, I live at Victor Harbour, which is just south of Adelaide at the moment. Um, I was born in Kingston down the southeast of South Australia and, um, yeah, lived on a farm there. My my dad was a real good stockman and horseman and, and um, had dogs so we've been around dogs and horses and whatever all our lives. Used to go riding horses all the time with him and um, around livestock and basically everything was was um, to do with animals really. So brought up with animals. Um, I oh, when I, I was home on holidays at one stage and the, the neighbour when I was about sixteen I think and. He uh, came over and wanted to know if I'd go over and help him over the school holidays. And, well, that was the end of that, wasn't it? So <laughs> there was no going back to school after that. So um, didn't, uh, I didn't stay with him all that long, although all the work we'd done there was on horseback as well. So, it, um, yeah, it was all, all with animals. And I always had a bit of a fascination for uh, machinery. So um, I had a guy that... Um, it was a land developing contractor and, and um, I spoke to him and he offered me a job uh, with him and I thought, oh, this driving tractors and the seating and all that sort of thing would be pretty good for a while, a bit of a bit of a learning curve. So I went to work with, for him and um, he, he, was a, he was a great guy. He, he was a bit of a different character. He couldn't read or write, he, uh, but a very astute businessman. He, um, I, I actually lived with him and his wife for four years and I probably learnt more from him in my whole life than I did from anyone else I ever worked for. He was, uh, he made us work hard, but um, he always had a lot of advice, you know, like, and show, you know, if, you, if you're interested in what was going on, he was quite, open and helpful to to teach you yeah. what to do and and things like that so and a lot of a lot of things that he told me and um said to me over the years has sort of resonated in and how i've sort of lived my life really he always said you know if you work hard um take every opportunity that comes your way and make the best of everything that comes along you know you'll do okay so so yeah, I, I went to work for him for a, a long time, and um, um, then I I sort of left there and and went on to another uh, a um, short on stud, 
which again was uh, to do with all with horseback and and dogs and everything else. And um, probably that's when I really started to get into to working more with dogs uh, because there was more sheep on that property as well. So. Um, and then I got offered a, a manager's job. So um, I, when I think about it, you know, I never ever rode a motorbike until I was about 22 years of age. And I think that was probably a really good grounding for me as far as um, learning about animals and stockmanship and the way stock move. Um, so that was that was very good. And then I, as I said, I went and managed, started managing a property, managed the property. Um, for um, 13 years and during that time um, <laughs> I had a stroke of luck actually I, I won a four-wheel drive vehicle yeah. and, and I actually sold it and the the money we got for for that uh, well sorry well I'll go back a step because when I, when we were at the Shorthorn Stab that's when I met Di and we got married at, at that stage and um and then I moved on to this other job and, um, yeah, I won this four-wheel drive and um, I sold that and the money we got for that was uh, was enough for the first the deposit on our first property. Beautiful. So that was pretty exciting. Di was a bit worried about the whole business because um, she, uh, yeah, she uh, wasn't really into owing money or, or the like. <laughs> But uh, that was that was the start of it all, and um, yeah, we've gone. We we just bought and sold property. We'd buy a property and do it up, and and then sell it and buy another one. And and overall, over the forty years, we've we've um, bought and sold eight properties. So yeah, wow. So it's been a, it's been a bit of a learning curve, but it's been a hell of a ride. So uh, some pretty rough patches along the way, and anyway, then. Um, um oh, our youngest son was actually is actually a butcher so we had the opportunity when we sold one of the properties down there that um we had the opportunity to buy this butcher shop so so we bought that and we put our put craig in there and um we value added quite a bit of our progeny or produce sorry through there and um yeah. that turned out to be a really really good business so um, yeah, no, it was it was a good business. So, and uh, so we we were we had the Kingston properties for twenty nine years, and and the butcher shop for fifteen. And um, then Craig wanted to move on. He he got married and um, wanted to move on. So so we, Di and I, had a, a bit of a rethink about our whole life and and the <laughs> stage and stage of life we were at, and if we ever. Look, oh, we've lost his speaker there, mate. There, yeah, mate. Hear me? Yep. Yeah, we can, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so where was I up to? I can't remember. <laughs> no, you're all right. Um, <laughs> Just talking about the butcher the shop. The butcher shop. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Craig, there something else? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Craig got married and um, and moved on and uh, then we... Um, um, I think we lost him again. His internet service is good. So we got video now. Can't hear yep. you again. Yep. Oh, there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, here we go. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah, so uh, Di and I had a real good think about what we're doing, and and um, it's it's quite a story because the the guy that I work, went to work for and lived with for four years, his son lived next door, and he had always wanted to buy our property. So um, Di and I started looking around up here and um, up in the hills, and and uh, found this particular property that we liked and uh, so I rang Ian and um, said are you still interested in buying us buying us out and he said yes so he um, he said how much and I told him and he said okay I'll see you in the morning we'll shake hands that'll be it so, <laughs> so we, we basically bought and sold in the same way so it the was, best way uh, most deals have done that easy too aren't they uh, it was it was pretty Good quick way. and uh, yeah, it was a bit of a shock to a lot of people, but um, yeah. anyway, sometimes a good decision's a good, you know, quick decision's a good one, isn't it? Absolutely. Definitely. So did you ever yeah. consider doing anything else other than working on the land before you not, sort of got no, the holiday job? Yeah, no, no, not really. I'm, I'm pretty much an outdoor person and um, I don't think um, being inside all the time would hurt me very much so and i look i just love farming uh, it's just um something that um that i really enjoy i um even when di and i were, we were working you know six and a half days a week when we had the butcher shop and 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 our two properties that we had at the time and uh yeah look it, it was while you're achieving something that you love doing you know, <laughs> Sorry, I COVID yeah, the other week fine. and um, yeah, it's given me a pretty bad cough. So, uh, fair enough. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, I so, uh, so yeah, we enjoy enjoying what we're doing, and then we moved up here to to a smaller property. Uh, brought the dogs with us, of course, and. Um, Supposed to be semi-retired, but I don't know. I seem to be working every day, so <laughs> I don't know about the semi-retirement. So, we'll get on to the dogs, dogs there shortly, mate. But um, have you noticed? Obviously, been around different aspects of the livestock industry there with the butcher shop, running your own properties. Have you noticed the change in um, stock handling techniques in your years? Uh, uh yeah, look, uh, I, um, that, I I don't think they've improved a hell of a lot. Um, I think the introduction of motorbikes and and all the rest of it have uh, have been a bad thing because um, I think, uh, and I find with my schools even that the people who are involved with horses and ride horses are a lot easier to teach than those who haven't and i yeah. i don't think motorbikes have been a great thing uh, for um for for stockmanship like and and learning how the, the way stock move uh, so yeah it's um look there, there's still don't get me wrong there's still some really good people around and, um i believe look stockman it's a real skill. It's a it's a natural skill that's come comes with you when you're born. I think, 
it's it's something that's very hard to learn and unless you've got someone who's really dedicated to to stop work and and is prepared to spend a lot of time with someone then then you know it can be taught to a certain degree but it, but um someone who's got natural skill with animals doesn't matter whether it's dogs horses or cattle in particular um i think um is far far and way above everyone else answered very well mate <laughs> <coughs> sorry so um what was your first dog ah uh, yeah first dog was um it was a it was a kelpie collie cross um and yeah he was look he was there was a he was a no thrills sort of dog but he he was uh, we were both learning and and he'd done a done the job for me and done it done it very well and 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 i spent a lot of time with him um i'm not a big person on crowds or anything so the the guy that as i said that i worked with for a long time um he quite often had us on working on weekends so we uh, we didn't get a lot of time to to go out and play so but uh but it was all was all good and then um i actually when i went to manage the property that i started on um we i had actually bought a collies and uh, yeah and then then i I sort of found uh, we were working quite a lot of stock on that place and and um i just found by the end of the week they were absolutely spent so um uh, one of my aunties actually gave me a a little pure red uh, kelpie bitch which was um and she, she was quite good real well really good in fact so um i um i got on really well with her and spent a lot of time with her and and um uh, actually nancy withers didn't live too far from me at that stage and she had a dog called bull and bong mate and um we put mate over this little red bitch of mine and basically that's when my purebred kelpies stud started and um uh, registered my stud in 1984 so it all sort of went went um went on from there so so sort of after that um i was pretty much hooked on kelpies really (laughs) and is there is a style that you prefer oh look i yeah i have had both paddock dogs and and yard dogs at some different stages um i prefer a dog that i can take out and do the lot with Uh, you know i i find paddock dogs absolutely intriguing as to what they can do um because i like a dog with a lot of natural ability and a dog that'll think for himself um so but at the same time um i've sort of gone I did go to the to um, to the way of breeding that, that um, you know I wanted a dog that could do everything pretty much. Uh, that's the way I sort of went, and that's the dog I like. You know, uh, has that changed over time, or it's always always been you've always been true to that? Oh yeah, look at it. Yeah, no, I've, I've always gone that way because um, 
um, with with our system, the way it worked, there were Di and I had done all of the work ourselves. Basically, the two boys helped us occasionally when they could, um, but um, we never ever employed anybody because we couldn't afford to. So yeah. you know, basically had to do everything ourselves. And the <laughs> so I spent a lot of time uh, looking at dogs. Um, uh, before I really started to get into breeding uh, as such, like um, I, I went and I looked at a lot of dogs and watched a lot of dogs and their owners. I, you know, like I, I went and watched people who were, were successful, um, not only with their dogs, but in their business and their life in general, uh, because I just find that they're the most dedicated and and switched on to what they're doing, uh, and the, because and that's why they're successful, you know. Uh, they're disciplined. And definitely, yeah. And what about your current team? Uh, okay, current team. Um, uh, look, I've I, I bred some really good dogs over a long time, and I've basically stuck to two families. Um, one of those families. Um, I've still got going. I've got a couple of dogs here that they, they go right back to the I can trace them back to the first kilpies I ever bred back in 1984. <clears throat> and yeah. the other that I've got are the second family that I started with and I've been able to keep them going. And uh, they were basically all Capri blood um, with that, that dash of Zondo in there. And I bought a dog uh probably eight seven or eight years ago now called nitro and um uh, back in his and i i basically bought him because not because he's a good dog but but also um he had all the all the old um uh zondo glen Logie lucky you know all those older dogs still in there which which i have got in all my pedigrees anyway so i was able to tie him into my breeding program so mm -hmm. and i've still got him he's a magnificent dog he, um look i've had some really good dogs over the years and and some being really good at at some things that this fella can basically do anything and everything um a couple of the others have been able to as well like i i find myself you know really lucky and honored to, to have had the the dogs that i've had because i can i could take them anywhere and do any job with them and and be as good as anybody else basically so uh, that's that was that was proof too that, uh, well, not proof. Well, it was proof, I guess, but um, it made me feel good that I'd done so much homework on my dogs before I really started breeding them. And and then I just stuck to what was good for me, you know. Like I, I originally bred dogs for my own use because I was doing a lot of stock work, sheep and cattle, and I, I bred them for myself and... The few that I didn't sell many pups for a long time because I wasn't really into selling them because I just wanted to make sure that everything was right before you know I let let too many go and and I wanted to make sure that they were going to do my job 
which was the most important thing as far as I was concerned. So, um, and you know, compared to a lot of people, I probably haven't bred a lot of pups over the years. Uh, I've only ever kept three or four bitches around the place. Um, I've got a couple farmed out to mates and things like that. But um, yeah, yeah. The, the breeding side of it to me is really important. It, it fascinates me. I love it. But um, I breed them for myself first. Yeah. And we'll get into that breeding there a bit later. But one thing you mentioned there was about keeping two different families. How did you manage to do that? Like, was there temptation to, you know, join those and run down one line? Or how did you manage to keep that um, going? Yeah, look, there is, and I have done it. I have I have crossed those two families over, um, but I also but I always made sure that there was progeny from both sides in that pedigree. So I I, I made sure that um, that I could keep them pretty straight, or come back to either one or both of those families without changing too much. Uh, that to me was pretty important, um, and not you know those two families. They were a little bit different in as much that the the Bullenbong babies, the original ones, were um, um, more paddocky, I guess. Um, yep. The first the first um, pup that I kept out of that mating was a dog that never ever barked, hardly ever yep. barked in his whole life. You know, like he was a silent dog. Um, <coughs> he ruptured his cruciate when he was six months old, a jumping offence, and so he was locked up for months and months and months. And uh, I was actually lucky at that stage because that was a long time ago. And I actually found a horse vet in Mount Gambia who was prepared to um, give him a reconstruction. And that was one of the first reconstructions that had ever been done on a dog in the Kingston area. Yeah, so, wow. yeah, it was quite. He was he was very good, this guy. But he was actually a horseback. But he was he was right into surgery and and fixing up, you know, torn ligaments and ruptures and all that sort of thing. So he was he was very good for me. And, and in fact, um, after about twelve months' work, I took that. He rang me up and said, "How's it going?" And and I said, "Yeah, pretty good." And he said, "Oh, can I have a look?" So I took the dog back. And he said, "Oh, I'd like to go in there and tighten that." So he went. He actually operated on the dog and, and tightened up this new ligament that he put in there um, yeah. to make the joint more stable. So it was quite amazing what he could do. And that um, that dog went on to win me six six state championships. Yeah! Wow! Wow! That, that was a dog that never ever barked. But he, he yeah. had so much he had so much presence and and he was a dog that, that <laughs> probably, probably, probably the smartest dog I ever bred. But um he he just was always in the right spot. Like a real good stockman. He stood in the right spot all the time. Uh, yeah. he, he just knew where to be. In fact, in some trials that um when I first started working him in trials, uh, when I'd go like into the into the next pen, I used to actually leave him on the outside and then jump him in. Otherwise, sheep would be just 
banging off the rails and jumping out and doing all sorts. I probably jumped more sheep out of trial grounds with him than any other dog. <laughs> <I've ever. laughs> that didn't have anything to do with the shoes that the horse vet put on his feet, did it? <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I don't think so. No, no he was, uh, yeah, no, he was a, he was a great dog. Uh, and who was that, mate? Pardon? What was his name? Uh, his name was Gus, Nakuma Gus. Yeah. 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 He, um, yeah, no, he, he lived until he was 16 years old. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, and he, he, he left really good bitches, uh, but he didn't, I never ever kept any of his males. His males just um, never ever really came up to scratch. I had a, a little bitch called Scanlan's, uh, she was a Scanlan's Fred bitch, bitch called Bindi. And probably the toughest bitch that I've ever, ever owned in my whole life. She had no fear of any stock like And um, I put uh, put Gus over her. It was a was a, just a complete um, experiment, and not one of them turned out. I gave I kept myself and gave two to mates because I didn't know what was going to happen, and. <laughs> um, Yes, not not one of them was any good. So that uh, that was that was in the early days of um, of my looking into breeding, and it was my first um, probably lesson of what to do or what not to do. Breeding <laughs> dogs. Why do you think that didn't turn out? Any? Oh, they, they were just, yeah, too different. The bloods bloods were too different. And um, they they just it just they just didn't match, um, yeah. and I look, it, it's hard to know why. But um, she was probably very strongly bred back to Scanlon's lines. I don't know um, because I didn't. Uh, you know that was when I was just starting off breeding dogs. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it just didn't, it just didn't click at all. Uh, but it made me, that's what made me really stop and think and look about um, putting dogs together and talking to different people like Steve and, and Chris and guys like that um, into their heads a bit and talking with them, you know, just just listening and learning to what other people had to say. And, and as I said before, just people have been successful with their dogs yeah. and stuff. So... That made me really sit down and look at pedigrees and set things up before I went any further. And it took me five years. I didn't breed a pup for nearly five years after that. Uh, yeah, right. Mm. And so that these days... Nearly, nearly scared me off. <laughs> <laughs> and these days, what are you looking for in your line? Oh, look, I obviously I... Uh, temperament for me is is paramount. Obviously, uh, confirmation is a, a big thing uh, as well. I mean, they've got to be put together properly. I'm, I'm big on feet and eyes and jaws and th teeth and things like that. But temperament, um, natural ability, those are the three main things I look at uh, after confirmation, of course. But... Um, uh, temperament to me is is just if you haven't got temperament, it's just so difficult to work. Uh, I've had dogs here that that I've purchased, and 
pups and that that are uh, and I've been to other people's places and and looked at dogs and um, that and they've got to have a good temperament to fit yeah. my temperament as well. <laughs> so. Um, Matt Jackson Jackson has asked, um, who are your most influential dogs? And if you could have an old one back, who would it be? Oh, that's hard. <clears throat> um, I had a dog called Capri Sledge, who was probably, and he was by Horton's Mister Squire, sorry, and oh, yeah. he was probably the hardest dog that I ever broke in. But he was one of the best dogs that I ever owned. He was um, super strong. Um, I seen him, and same deal. He hardly hardly ever barked, and he didn't did not bite. Um, but I seen him walk a cow and a calf backwards over a ridge one day. And um, yeah. I mean, as much as I loved old Gus, and I'd love another one of him, I'd love I would dearly love to have another sledge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, we just going through some different <laughs> questions here. Um, anyone else? Uh, no, look, not really. Uh, I, I had a couple of really nice bitches. Um, I had a bitch called, uh, well, there was three actually, and they were all, it all started off, um, I, I, I bought, a, uh, bought a female off Rick Sims. Um, and she was a Zondo granddaughter. And yeah. we put uh, Capri Shep over her, who was by Zondo, obviously. And that started off a fantastic bitch line for me. Um, I kept a female out of there called Becky. And she bred a, a, another female that I kept called Amy. And she bred a, um, another one. Um, called Roxy, and I reckon Roxy was probably the best bitch I ever bred. Yeah. What made her? What made her the best bitch, mate? Oh, just <laughs> smart, smart uh, strong. These were see. Sledge was a dog that, um, as I said, he was super strong, and and he always walked in with his. He never ever crouched or clapped on the ground or anything. He just walked in with his head up, tail out. You know, like just take me on, and he never ever took a step back. Um, I can remember trialing him at different places, and I, a sheep had um, jack him up, and I, I had trouble stopping, stopping, stopping him from walking in. You know, if I could have got a reverse on him, which I find <laughs> a lot of my dogs, I don't like them going backwards unless I tell them to. But uh, he was a dog that never, ever took a, a backward step. And quite often, you know, I'd get to a situation and, and a sheep would end up going over the top of him. But um, oh, he'd get rolled by a steer or a cow or something and he'd just, go, he'd just get up and stand up and walk straight back in. And he was, he was one tough mother, I'll tell you. <laughs> I wanted for you to finish that. I'm like, oh, here we go. You want to get the beef going? Yeah. Yeah, no. Of course, he was. He was a tough dog. I know. I remember. Yeah, I was having trouble breaking him in, and I, I was talking to Chris once, and he said, "Mate, the only way you're going to break that dog is is in is to get in his head." So, yeah. I, 
I think I eventually it was a I think we we came to the conclusion that um let's just work together and not against each other so <laughs> Um, it was a it was a good combination in the end, and he bred me some very very good progeny, very good progeny. Uh, Another question here from Danny Kerr: um, Is there a dog that someone else has owned that you'd like to get, and um, why? Uh, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I've seen a lot of dogs. Um, um, and you know, when you get into a breeding program like like you do, if you do it properly, um, you get to a stage where you think, where am I going to find another sire? Or because um, you get to a stage with in breeding where it, unless you can find a dog with some sort of an outcross but not a full outcross, it it can be difficult and and sometimes I've looked and looked and looked and looked and haven't been able to find anything better than what I've actually got, you know, in the past. And um yeah, so it is difficult. I mean, some of the couple of the dogs I would like, no one would would want to get rid of. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's the other thing. So um you mentioned there like sometimes you can't find better than what you had in the past. Do you have an opinion on AI and using older dogs that aren't around anymore compared to what you can find now? Uh, yes, definitely. Look, AI was is a fantastic thing. I I wish the hell I'd I'd have uh, taken or kept some salmon out of sledge in particular, um, because of his his pedigree, his um, strong genetic ground. But I didn't. At that stage, um, AI was really just starting to get going a bit. Uh, and I, but I, I must admit, well, I could have, I could have done it and should have done it uh, because I had it. But I had a friend called Margie Truebridge. She's a, uh, she's, um, she's right into AI and all the rest of it, and she's a vet. And um, she said to me at that stage, like the conception rates are. Uh, aren't very good and um, storing's okay, but um, you can spend a lot of money and not get very far. But, you know, since then, things have changed. So, um, yeah, that's one. my one big regret is not keeping some steam out of sledge. Uh, out of all the other dogs I've had, uh, look, I, I think a dog has got to be exceptional for you to be able to baby semen mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i don't think it's i don't think there's any point keeping semen out of you know this is, there's a lot of good dogs around but i don't think there's much point keeping semen out of just a good dog he's got to be an exceptional dog mm-hmm. in my opinion no absolutely mate and a question here from the minister of finance war and peace uh, otherwise known as uh, natalie um what are you looking for when considering a uh, future joining yourself uh i look probably just what i said before i as i said i they've got to be put together properly obviously and it's the confirmation thing is 
I guess it's um, it's everybody's opinion, but um, uh, I when I first look at dogs, um, the first thing I look at when I'm looking at them is uh, they've got to have good feet. Um, obviously, I like I like a reasonably big dog, so I, I want a dog with a reasonable chest cavity and um, that that can run. I, with my puppy, when they're young, I, I make them a lot to develop their lungs. Yeah. And um, but yeah, uh, confirmation temperament. If I'm looking to do any joinings with any any job or even male anything it's got to got to have a good temper i i I could honestly say that um i've never ever had anyone bitten by one of my dogs ever so um that they've got to have a lot of natural ability obviously uh um i look i i like dogs to think for themselves um we Oh, look, I've one one property I managed had a lot of scrub on it, and we used to have to drive the weathers off that place about ten k's down to this little skinny road, and had to scrub each side of it and things like that. And you know, Sledge in particular, he was he was a great lead dog, and you know, you'd be uh, driving miles weathers a couple fifteen hundred weathers down this skinny little road, and and all of a sudden they'd get. You know, they'd stretch out a bit and and all of a sudden they'd stop and you know, knew damn well that he's up there, so he'd catch up and then you'd give a whistle and away they'd go and, and I'd only ever see him. He'd be out in the scrub. He knew damn well what he was doing and and that, you, you just can't teach that. You know, that's, yeah. that's just born and bred in them. Um, and those those things like those champions that they've got that, you know, that born... We can breed as much as we like, and it would be nice to breed champions, but there's just always that one exceptional one that comes along, and not very many of them, mind you. Very, very few, and I'm getting less and less of those real exceptional. Why why do you think that we are getting less and less? Um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but I, yeah, maybe but, I deserve but, a bag of dog food tonight. I can, I can see you. I honestly don't think there's enough people studying the breeding that they're doing. Yeah. Um, we, I think nowadays we're getting a lot of mates instead of breeders, and a lot of that's is caused by money people are breeding for money and um, i think um, if we could get and, and i've had two or three young people come to me and ask me about breeding and things like that so i sit down and i get out you know um pet trees and and i set them out and i, I say to them now you know this is what i'm on i pedigree every every matings we do we set out pedigree before we do them and we make sure that um we've got a pretty fair idea of what we're going to get before they even hit the ground so yeah that to me 
important and and I think that that's you know that's a little bit of a problem in, in as people aren't really studying the breeding as much as they they maybe should. Bloodlines are getting mixed up too much. So only my opinion, mind you. But yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mate, is there a criteria that a bitch needs to meet for you to breed from her? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, look, I, I never I never breed from a bitch until she's at least two and a half. Yeah. Uh, I've got to have every work crate that I want. I like, as I said before, I love paddock dogs. Um because if you can't get them in the yard, you know, this is not you're battling up against it for a start. I like it. I like a bitch that'll that'll cast a bit. Um, she can come in, you know, can give the give the sheep a bit of distance. But I like a dog that'll come in when you ask him to as well. Like I like a dog that's got a a bit of natural bark. I don't like just I, I want bark when I ask for it. I just don't like dogs barking for no reason. Um, the other thing is I like them strong. Um, and those those real strong dogs are getting harder and harder to find as well. So I just think that um, some ways the way we've gone, we've softened them up a bit too much. Uh, yeah. I, look, I like it. I like a female that's feminine um, and can be a little bit softer in nature. But when when we go to work, I want them to work um, because I, you know, I don't like dogs jumping all over you and things like that. I, I like them to come up and sit alongside you and put their head on you and and be, you know, submissive and and be, you know, be nice to be around. Um, and I I find that I can I get better breeding success out of those bitches than I than I do the real hard headed ones. Yeah. Uh, so um, do you believe that um, there's any, the sire or the dam has more influence over their litter of pups? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think the, the females do have a, a, probably a bit more influence over the, over the, um, over the pups in general. Um, yeah. When I, when, you know, when I look around, um, look, Say 20 years ago or 15 years ago um, when I was right into trialling and things like that, you could go to a trial and you'd have dogs like Watch and Shep, Basil and Buster and Zondo and Mac and Sam and Nako and Boss and all those dogs. They were never, all around never heard of any of them. <laughs> they were all around that same era. And yeah. they, were dogs, they were dogs that, you know, a lot of them were... Um, um related mind you but in one way or another but um uh they they were all trying and about the same time and they were one hell of a group of dogs um that you could you know if you had the right bitches you could take real good bitches to any one of those dogs if you could line them up but whereas now i just find it find it harder to to find when you go to oh no we've lost your voice one sec mate we just wait for your internet service to pop back up here he's had another call yeah 
No. Right, let's give him a tingle. Here we go. How's that going now? I can hear you. Can you gotcha. hear me? Gotcha. Gotcha. Dang, you're in. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. You wait until I get hold of these guys that have been ringing me up. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'll be hearing all about it. That, that's yeah, all right. Um, sure. We'll do. We've just got a couple of questions here. We'll get through and some more, and then we'll change here. So, the question here from you and I, Sarah? Yeah, a question here from Damon Hunt. Um, what advice would you give to someone picking their first pup? Um, pick one you like. Uh, look, um, first up, um, go to someone who, as I said before, go to someone who works livestock for a living. Um, when if you go to their property, and I call I like to see dogs, pups in particular, humanized is what I call it. Um, we spend a lot of time with our pups right from the once they their eyes open, and so they are used to being held, held, talked to, all the rest of it. So the first thing uh, that um, I would say to to anybody, obviously, when they're going to look at pups. Um, obviously, do your homework before you go. Um, if you can see the parents' work, ask to see the parents' work. If you can't ask, to see, if you, if you can't see the parents' work, I'd go somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Pick a pup. Pick a pup you really, really like, because at the end of the day, um, you've got to like the pup, and it's got to like you. I like a reasonably bold pup that that comes up to me and, and is friendly and, and you know, obviously, once again, you know, like just make sure they're put together properly, the confirmation's good, the hips are good and all the rest of it. But um, just pick one. You're, if, if you go to a really good, reputable breeder who's been breeding pups for quite some time, he's experienced, he's dedicated and um good at what he does and and he's got quite a few of the progeny there or past progeny there himself that he's using that's a pretty good sign but um when if you do that go to a good reputable way then pick out a pup that you really like because if you get if you pick one that you're not quite happy with or you or someone tries to talk you into it if you get that pup home and something goes wrong, you will never like it. Yeah. Definitely. Good advice. Yeah. Good advice. Uh, On from that, um, Dave has asked, uh, what age do you start your pups and how old are the pups when you choose to keep them? Um, I pick my pups. Yeah, I pick my pups pretty early. Um I, as I said, I like a bold, outgoing pup. Um, but um, uh, yeah, look, I sometimes I'll um, I'll pick them. You know, they might even three or four weeks old, four weeks old. Um, but um, I, I personally, <clears throat> I don't start my pups on sheep or stock or sheep um, until they're about three months old. 
uh, I think I, I see people put eight, six and eight week old pups on sheep and sometimes, not always, but a lot of times all they're doing is chasing sheep and and they've got to remember that that, that six or eight week old pup might only weigh three or four kilos and if it gets trodden on or landed on by a 60 kilo sheep or weather or you or, or lamb or whatever, you know, that's the end of the story. So, but, you know, it's, everybody's got their own ideas on that. But um, I, when my pups are eight weeks old and I've got collars on them, I tie them up in, on a short chain in the back of my buggy. I tie them around everywhere with me. I might have four or five in there. And that, so they get used to being on a short chain, not a long chain. And they get used to a short chain really quickly. Um, and then, you know, I, I lead them around. And when the granddaughters come down, I, they get a job. <laughs> they're leading pups around and, and all the rest of it. So um, sure they're not complaining? No, no, they're not complaining at all. And then, uh, but uh, mind you, I've got to decipher some of the names that they give them. <laughs> but, uh, but um, and then, look, um, yeah, look, after that, and, you know, by, by three months, 10 or 12 weeks old, you know, they're, they're normally coming to coming to their name and all the rest of it. And and then the first time, about three months old, I'll, I'll just put them in with some quiet sheep. And it's mainly just to have a look at what I've got. So I've usually got a pretty fair idea because of the matings we're doing. But the, uh, the, the first look is just, you know, really just to to get an idea on, on what they're going to do. So, and I might show them sheep a couple of times. If, if they don't show anything first up, it doesn't really worry me too much. I'll take them back and give them another look in a week or so. But, um, and then I'll show them sheep. I might show them sheep two or three times and then it doesn't worry me if they, you know, if they don't see sheep for probably a month or so after that, then I'll take them back. And, because they do change, they change all the time. Um, and then, look, once they're, um, uh, once they're sort of four or five months old, that's when I sort of start doing, a, you know, more, more and more with them. And, um, and hopefully each time we take them out, we see something a bit better and a bit, you know, a bit more exciting. And um, I just love watching um, 10, 12-week or 12-week-old pups. You put them in put them in with sheep and sometimes it's just instant and you think wow you know that that is just so cool so do you have an age limit where you like them to to see something from them and if they hit that you're like oh, i might move them on yeah look um as long as they're showing me something um yeah. if they get to six or eight months old, eight months old, and they're not showing me anything at all or very little. Um, I find it really hard to um, to keep interested in them. Um, but at the same time, I, I really haven't had that problem for a long, long time, um, years in fact. But um, uh I, if if I've kept two or three pups out of a litter and I, I'm I'm having a look at them and to pick out a particular one or or I'm picking out a pup for someone else, um, I just I just like them to to do what I what I 
what my criteria of pups and pups and dogs work and dog work is in general um, because um, if they're doing the right thing, the wrong thing, it's um, I usually move them on pretty quick. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah look, I, I, I have got a fair criteria on what I like to see um, and, and it's not so much a time thing with pups in general. It's it's just the the quality of work that they're doing. Yeah, that interests me more. Yeah, awesome. And what's your ideal training setup? Um, round yard, yard. Yep. Um, I actually, when I came here to this property, I actually purchased a set of sheep yards uh, to set up specifically for training pups and dogs and and it's got a uh, quite a big round yard which i do start pups off in uh, uh, but as soon as i've got uh, you know a good right and left on them and they're balancing up properly um i've set this property up so that um i've got a, a quite a big round yard and then i've got a, a holding yard that's probably about an acre and then I've got another one behind that that's probably four or five acres and then another one behind that that's 10 acres. Yeah. And then, then we go out in the paddock. So basically I, I train them in stages. And But as soon as they've got a real good grip on their sheep or on their stock in general, um, I'll take them out, take them outside. I rarely give a, a dog or a pup yard work until it's six or eight months old, probably eight months old. Yeah. They don't get much yard work at all, really. Because I, as I said, I think, well, for me anyway, all my commands and everything are exactly the same in, in the paddock as what they are in the yard or in exactly the same in the yard as what they are in the paddock. So, so um, um, yeah, look, the, the paddock work to me and, and to get them exactly where I want them um at a particular age is more important than yard work because as I said before, you know, like if you can't get your sheep in the yard, you're in yeah. big trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So, and talking about starting yard work, what age would you normally start to do some work in a race? Ah, uh, look. Sorry? Like backing, backing in a race and things like that, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Uh, 10 months old? Eight or ten months. Look, I'll 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 have I've got a small yard at the back of the race where I'll start teaching them or encouraging encouraging them to back, but I never put my pups in a situation where they're going to get hurt. Yeah. And if and it depends on the sheep you're using too. You know, like um, I I start my pups and young dogs off on or my pups off on on some trained sheep. But as soon as they can handle handle a few sheep, um, I I put them out and I'll I'll change my sheep over quite regularly so that so that there's a bit of movement in them. I I don't like um, I see people putting pups on three or four trained sheep and walking around the paddock with them and saying look how look how good they are and all the rest of it and all all, the, all that's happening is the sheep is is following the trainer the dog's 
you know, doing a bit, but it's, to me, I like them to, once I've taught them or, or got them, to, you know, covering pro or, or getting around their stock properly, um, I want them to get to the head and, and, you know, pull the sheep up. And so I like my sheep to run a bit. I don't, I don't want them just following me around because then I can learn anything by doing that. Yeah. Um, and how do you go about putting a sit or a stop on your pups? Yeah, look, um, um, we we do it, I do it a little bit when they're quite, you know, that, that three-month-old, before the three-month-old stage when I'm doing that. But um, when, when I put them, when I start them on sheep in the yard, in the round yard, I rarely do much with them at all other than use their natural ability. Uh, I think if it if if the breeding's been done properly and the dog has got good temperament and they've got a good natural natural ability, it's just a matter of you shaping it into what you want. Because if you if you can I've seen so many people take a natural heading instinct out of a dog and it infuriates me because that's what they're bred for they're bred to stop sheep running away from you or stock now if if you take that heading ability out of them you know like you're almost back to square one so i, I basically just shape my pups into into what i want and, and it's a matter of me getting in the right spot. I'll put a sit and a stop on them as we're going, you know, like uh, once I start them again at, say, five or six months old, then I start. But I I prefer my dogs to, you know, to stop rather than sit because I want them on their feet, you know, ready to go, and, and I want them looking and watching. I see so many people these days um they've got so much control on their dogs that that dog's not he's not game to bloody move until he's told to and that to me you know is just you know it's not it's not good stockmanship yeah sorry it's gonna make you cry mate but it's, it's just started raining here yeah, well, you we'll can the, have it. We'll get the fans out. We'll blow it back down here. We've had bloody enough here, anyway. Poor flood if it uh, keeps up. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and mate, um, just on what you're saying there, I totally get that. Um, a lot, you like to leave a bit of your dog in your dog, and I suppose a, mm. a lot of us these days like to have a bit more control. And as about you know, everybody's got their own thing there, you know. So, oh, I really Appreciate your opinion yeah. on that. Yeah, mate, look, um, it's, uh, you're. You keep going. Yeah, it's, Sorry, keep going. It's a matter of it's a matter of the way you work your stock too, you know. Like um, um, to me, working livestock is all about creating flow, and once you get flow going, and and sheep heading or stock heading in the right direction of where you want, um, you know, you all you need to do is be able to hold your dog off or, or hold, slow them down. And, and, you know, I teach my dogs to walk slowly, walk quicker, slow, quick, you know. I'll, I'll sort of walk yeah. up and they'll start and they'll go a bit quick and I'll say, now that's not walking, and they'll slow down and yeah. things like that. 
And, you know, like if you spend a lot of time with your dogs doing that sort of thing, you can teach them heaps. But um, if, uh, and I think that's one of the worst things that's with motorbikes, that motorbikes shouldn't come out with horns on them. They should be thrown away. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. you see so many people back there, toot, 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 when really, you know, you need, once you get your stock, broken in properly and, and they're heading in the right direction um at a walk, good walking pace and all the rest of it you know what's the point of hanging hunting them along at 20 k's an hour you might you, you'll get there a lot quicker but by the time you get there you, your livestock is so stirred up and fired up and all the rest of it that um all it does is create stress for everybody and, yeah. and being an ex-butcher you don't want to be running the weight off them right <laughs> Dead right, <laughs> <laughs> mate. So um, you mentioned starting your Kelpie start in 1984. When did you start trialing? Uh yeah, started. Oh, that's when I registered my first um, uh, registered first. my start. Um, yeah. I started trialing in '84 as well, but I used um, uh, I used a couple of dogs. Or oh, Nancy Withers loaned me a couple of dogs and I used to work a few of her young dogs before I started really breeding my own. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I was probably lucky enough that uh, one of the dogs that she loaned me, uh, the first trial I ever went in was a local farmer's trial and I won it. So so that sort of got me hooked and then <laughs> it sort of went from there. So it... Um, yeah, 1984 was when I actually first had my first couple of trials. Didn't do much um, until probably 1986 um, when I started. That's when I started travelling and and uh, doing a few outdoor. I used to travel, you know, to Danilik and Swanee all over the place with one dog, mind you. Yeah. So. And what type of trialling? <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I have had I've had a go at three sheep trolling, and it's probably doesn't suit me in, in, in as much that um, um, I'm not a, I'm not a person that likes to sit around for too long, <laughs> so I can't afford to sit around for all day and only have one or two runs. So that three sheep trolling didn't really suit me anyway. I I didn't have the right dogs for it at that stage and I don't know you've got to have with kelpies in particular you've got to have the right kelpie to work a three sheep trial and so they're just not bumping them off course all the time uh, I have done yeah. a few utility trials early in early in the piece when um, when I had um, Sledge and Willie and Becky and them going uh, in Victoria not so much we don't have many in South Australia unfortunately but um, yeah, I enjoyed, um, you know, the odd uh, utility trial, but I, I'd mainly done yard trials, to be quite honest, and um, yeah. pretty much all over Australia, really. And do you have a favourite trial to participate in? Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, I've, yeah, I've probably got a couple, really, but Lucendale Field Day's trial is at Lucendale in South Australia is probably the one that um, I really enjoy. We have a trial at, uh, at Corona up in the Mallee, which is a very good trial and they're very good sheep because they're sort of Mallee sheep and we always get 
pretty toey sort of weathers out of the scrub and that sort of thing up there. So they sent me sort of sort of few dogs out. So and and also the yards up there are, are quite big. Like they they don't mind having big forcing yards and pens and stuff like that. So you know your dog's got to have a bit in it to to be able to um, get around that course properly. So I find that enjoyable and and challenging but um, but Lucendale is also a good course so yeah definitely um so do you believe trials stimulate real work uh they i think they've they've helped trials of yard trials in particular or and probably utility trials i think they've helped the um they've made people more aware of what dogs can do and and, and the the value of dogs um I, I don't know that it's improved the dogs the dogs i guess the quality of dogs has improved um but it's a matter of whether the, the and the style of work's changed too of course but but um yeah, I, I don't know that it's always a good thing. Trolling's not always a good thing if you want a really good station dog. You know, oh, like a dog that you can take to work every day. That, that's going to bring us back to a question here. Like, we hear debates that trial dogs don't make real dogs. What's your take when you hear that statement being thrown around? I think there are there are a lot of trial dogs that that are trialling um, with people who've only got fifty acres and fifty sheep, yep. and and I don't know that that's always uh, that's not always good for um, for dogs in general because it gives people some people that go there and watch these dogs get a false idea on what they really like at home. Um, and don't you worry, you know, like out in the station country and things like that, there's magnificent dogs out there that we will never, ever see or people never see. But they are just some magnificent dogs. Um, and unfortunately, we never see them. But but getting back to your question, it's, um, yeah, look, uh, I'd say some... Some farm dogs, station dogs, make good trial dogs, but a lot of trial dogs don't make good station dogs. How's that? Yeah. Fair mm. enough. That's good. That's cool. Um, what do you feel is your best trialling achievement or just a special moment to you? Uh, well, same deal. I've got a couple, I guess. <clears throat> Obviously, winning my first trial was good, but... Um, when I won the Australian Championship with Willie was was certainly a highlight and something that I'll never forget um, because it was just, um, yeah, it was just something that, that was, was absolutely fantastic. But I had another, another one where um, uh, I had, there was six dogs in the, South Australian Yard Dog Championship once, and I actually had four of them in there, and three of them were ones that I'd bred myself. Okay. So that was that to me was probably one of my biggest achievements was having having bred my own dogs and 
and having um, at that level of that standard of, of trialling. So that to me was that was pretty good. But I certainly enjoyed winning a national with Willie, that's for sure. Oh, well, they're not giving away, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's an awesome achievement, mate. And, mate, in your travels throughout Australia, is there something that you see handlers struggle with or where do you believe or somewhere you believe they can improve? I think pre people could improve quite a lot by giving their dogs a bit more um, you know, giving their head a bit more, you know, like um, I, I just see so many dogs nowadays, you know, like they're just so overcommanded and, and, and as I said before, you know, I've, I've, I've judged trials where some dogs aren't game to move and I've seen the sheep move off and these dogs will not move until they're told to. And I just think that some of these, some people, they need to you know, give their dogs a bit more, use their own brains a bit more, you know, yeah. providing they've got them, of course. But, um, yeah, look, it, it's just, I don't know. I, I think um, I just love going and watching people who who work stock every day because they're the ones that understand how stock move and they allow their dogs to move in the same way. Um, they make good position themselves and they let the dog do the work. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's only my opinion, of course, but um, I just think um, a lot of dogs, as I said before, you know, state or farm station dogs make good make good trial dogs but some trial dogs if you took them home you would never get your work done yeah that's fair enough and what advice would you give to someone wanting to come into the industry um the agricultural industry you mean farming industry or, yeah. or trialing uh probably the ag industry yep okay um just as I said before, go to go to people who are successful in what they're doing. If you're going to buy pups or 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 dogs or or anything like that, insist on seeing the 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 parents work. If um, if you can't, well, I think there's a reason. Um, people. People who are successful, doesn't matter whether it's in trial, as I said before, whether it's trialling in their business, in their every everyday life and their attitude towards people in general, uh, their people skills, all that sort of thing, um, they're, they're the ones you need to go to because they're the ones that you can learn from. Um, those people, most of them, will give you some sort of information and help on... Um, on what um, what you want to know, but and don't be frightened to ask ask questions. Uh, and the same thing with training schools. Go to people who work stock. Uh, go to people who who have been successful in what they're doing. If they're running a school, go to that school. You know, like um, there are so many schools these days, and I think 
some people go to so many different schools that they get a bit confused sometimes because different handlers have different methods and yeah. and sometimes they conflict so um yeah look um and time time is the thing if you wanted if you want a dog that's a bit above the rest and you've got a, a really good pup or young dog put the time in if you don't put the time in you won't get the result if you want something special i'm always looking for something a little bit special something a little bit you know beyond your everyday dog so uh you you need to to put in time effort and and have you know if you do that and spend time with your dogs and pups they'll respect you for it if if you've got a pup that doesn't like you because you don't spend time with it you know you're really battling uphill so yes. um, it's that it's that respect and time and and um persistence that you really need and don't give up if you get a good one don't mm -hmm. give up very good advice there mate uh, mate, is there someone you'd like us to sit down or see us sit down and have a chat to on Dog Talk? Um, there is a lady that I'd love for you to talk to, but I don't know whether she would. Her name is Sally Stanley from Oban, Victoria. Um, Sally is a, she's been a great dog person for a long, and she's a very good stock person as well. She's owned her own land. She's worked in sale yards and she's she's been i seen her just recently and she told me that um, she's now dogless. <laughs> she has no dogs at all, so, which is a bit strange. But she, when, uh, when we used to go to Hamilton or Bathurst or anywhere, when Sally was there, you always knew that it was going to be a good competition because um, <laughs> even though she's a quiet little English lady, she is one fierce competitor, believe me. She used to turn up. She'd, she'd turn up in her old Valiant, and with the dog dog trailer on behind, and um, yeah, half a dozen dogs. And she had some very very good ones too. Don't you worry. Um, yeah. And you know, yeah. So she's one. It would be great if she would talk to you, but uh, and I guess the other one, if she doesn't want to talk to you, John Getty, to be a great guy to talk to. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Cool, mate. Was that time of the night, mate? Was there a question that was asked tonight that stood out for you? And they will win a bag of Enduro Plus working dog. Um, what was the one? Was it Damon or Damien? Damon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we asked, asked about picking picking, picking a, a first pup. pup. I actually like the oh, way yeah. you answered that. That's why I was stuck out of my head as well. So. <laughs> Damon yeah, Hunt. Yeah, no. So, Damon, um, to uh, send your details through, mate, there'll be a bag of Enduro Plus uh, working dog with real kangaroo meat coming your way. And um, like Lyndon, uh, for being a guest tonight, you'll also have a bag of uh, Enduro Plus coming your way. Cool. Thank you. I like Laura's question too, but I've been not sure <laughs> <to> her. <laughs> yeah. so, I do need some no, look, food, look, so. Thank you very much for, for having me on. I, I feel... Um, honoured to be able to uh, come on and talk to you guys, uh, particularly with some of the, the other guys you've had on. I, I, I um, feel quite humbled. Thank you.
Thank you for coming on. Thanks, it's thanks for getting on, mate. You're not getting off the hook that easy. You still got <laughs> one more question. <laughs> the trick question. No trick to it. There's no right answer. That's a thing. So, would yeah. you rather uh, one duck the size of a horse or twenty horses the size of ducks? I think, I think I'd go with the horse because I think I could dodge, dodge one horse quicker than I could dodge dodge twenty ducks. <laughs> <laughs> nah, very cool, mate. And once again, thank you very much for your time tonight. Much appreciated. And uh, thanks to all our that, and thanks to all our guests out there. And please remember, we learn every day, and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. No, no. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers.